time now, and uh, we will this morning study together verses 13 through 16 uh, with the hope that God will speak to us this morning uh, with anticipation, expecting him to uh, speak directly to at least one person in the room, and that may just be, be myself. Verse 13 begins with therefore, and so I want to give a little recap of what the therefore is therefore. We end the opening statements that Peter has written down inspired by the Holy Spirit to these churches dispersed throughout Asia Minor. These new believers, these uh, followers of Jesus, these followers of the way, uh, these who have heard the good news and responded to it and are desiring to, to live in obedience to Christ. And he ends this little first section with thoughts of dispersion or being spread out, with thoughts of living as exiles, and as Zach tried to just a moment ago remind us of his uh, living as an exile in southeastern New Mexico, uh, many of you thought about Albuquerque and thought, wow, he, he hasn't been exiled from Albuquerque. He's actually been rescued from there. <laughs> but we can't say the same about Texas. Right? We know. We know the truth about Texas. And uh, don't you love that? I mean, how many of you love Texans who always talk about Texas? I, I see all your hands this morning. Okay. We hear Peter also talking about persecution, about suffering, about regeneration, about genuine faith, about an eternal inheritance, and about a living hope kept for us in heaven. Meaning that the hope and the inheritance and all these things that are being kept for us in heaven cannot be tainted, cannot be stained, cannot be changed. Instead, they remain forever. And so we have a a living hope in something that's completed, and we can put a true confidence in that, a true assurance in that. We don't have to live with uncertainty, but instead we can live with confidence and assurance in what Christ has done and is doing and is going to do. And I know we live in a world full of, you know, full of moments of just not being sure, Moments of where you're just not confident, not confident in what Christ has done for you, and maybe it's just a minute, or maybe it's three days, or, or maybe it's been years now that you're still wrestling with that, and maybe you'll continue to wrestle in that. And I would just say to you, pray to the Lord. Lord, remind me daily through your word, through your spirit, through your people, of the assurance that I can have in Christ of the confidence that I can place in him and him alone. That's the hope. That despite the sufferings, the trials, the temptations, the persecution, despite any of the brokenness of this world, despite the sin that you're wrestling with, we can put our trust and our faith completely in, in Christ. And, ha- and in so doing, we have a living hope. We're, we're not having a, a dead hope, but instead we're having a living hope. So we're coming to the realization, the hope is, just in these opening statements that Peter has written down, we're coming to the realization that no matter what happens next, no matter how good of a preacher I am or bad, no matter if I preach heresy or not, no matter if you have a good lunch or a bad lunch, no matter if you have lunch at all, no matter what happens tomorrow, if things don't go the the way that you planned or the way that you think they should, no matter what happens next, we have a living hope in Jesus. So we're placing our hope in Him, not in ourselves, 
not in our own plans, not in our own projects, not in our own uh, you know, self-control or our own self-reliance, not in good words that somebody has given to us, hopeful words even, but instead we're, we're coming to the realization that we can only place our hope and walk in that, our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. Ed Welch says this, suffering is the trouble that comes at us and sin is the trouble that comes out of us. So suffering is the trouble that comes at us and sin is the trouble that comes out of us. Kind of give us this picture, a little bit of what we talked about last week, even with the, the neurological hormone oxytocin, that what's trying to be squeezed out of us, even through times of suffering, is sin. We don't want sin to remain in us. Yes, we're placing our confidence in that Christ is the one that's removing that sin in us. He's paid the ultimate sacrifice, made payment for our sins, and now we're in this process called sanctification where he is squeezing sin out of us. And sometimes that squeezing really hurts. Sometimes that squeezing squeezing feels like suffering. I don't know if you're familiar with this lady or not, Joni, or Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, who has lived a life full of misery, most of us would say, full of suffering, bound to a wheelchair, uh, bound to reflect every day uh, on someone else helping her, and yet um, still she has a great outlook on life because of the living hope that she has. She mentions in a podcast that I'll post on, on our discussion questions online that you can click on and just listen to, but she, she says in this podcast, heaven was the place... In anticipation, she was thinking this. Heaven was the place where I'd get my new body. Anticipating almost like streets of gold and a new body. So heaven was the place where I'd get my new body. And all I could see was how I would benefit from heaven. Once I get to heaven, all these benefits will come to me. All these benefits will be, will be mine. She goes on to say, I didn't realize back then that heaven is a holy place, a place of holiness for holy inhabitants. And when we think about that, when we think about heaven being a holy place full of holy inhabitants, we begin to wrestle with, do I really want to go there? I like the thought of streets of gold and mansions and my particular view of heaven, fishing and hunting and living every day or loving every day dirt roads and pine trees and those types of things. We think about it and we're like, all those benefits are for me. We, we tend to misshape or have a, a wrong view of what heaven really is about. Johnny, or Johnny Erickson Tata really talks about this in this podcast where she says, I didn't realize back then that heaven is a, a holy place, a place of holiness for holy inhabitants. And she goes on to say, that she became, she only became interested in a holy heaven when she realized God was, was going to use her suffering as a way of refining her to remove, or like we just said, squeeze sin out of her. Sin like bitterness and anxiety and fears and doubt and self-centeredness to make her the holy person that would be excited about heaven for the right reasons, because of the right and righteous person, Jesus. And she goes on to say, she came to the realization that heaven is not about the day of Johnny, 
but instead the day of Jesus. And I think that we have to wrestle with that too. See, sin teaches us that today is about you. That this moment, even right now, is about you. About your response to Jesus. About how well you are obedient to him. How holy you can make yourself. And then you, you make that and continue with that line of thought. And you think, heaven is about you. Well, obviously. I mean, heaven has to be about me. That's why God created it. Because I'm this holy, good person. Full of goodness. And so if that's the case, yeah, there may be a little bit of sin in me, but Christ paid the ultimate price. And so now, because of my good actions, my good morals, my good walking, my good obedience, my goody goodness, now I get to share in heaven with everyone else that's as good as I am and enjoy the benefits that I'm without at the moment and enjoy those benefits forever that are being uh, withheld from me at this moment. Well, we can't look at it that way. As Peter talks about in verse 14 and 15 and 16, we are called to be a holy people, a people set apart. What are we to be holy for, set apart for? A holy God in a holy place. We've talked about all that already in the opening statements. The place, the right place that we're longing for, the right righteous person that we're longing for, the right things that we fear. And so in that we're looking at saying, God, make me holy, set me apart, not just for me, not just so I can brag about that, see how well I'm set apart, see how well I remain set apart, see how well I remain holy. No. We praise God because He's the one who has made us holy, and He's the one who keeps us holy for the holy place that He has and is preparing for us. The hope is this, that the broken world that we're living in now, the suffering that you're going through, however large or small that you're, that you're experiencing, the hope is that suffering will help us see sin. The hope is that suffering will help us see sin. I love, there's a, a great book called Untangling Emotions. And in that, um, we talk about our emotions. Emotions lead us to what we're worshiping. So in your anger, you can look at the anger, the emotion of anger and say, what is it that I'm, I'm worshiping? Uh, you can look at the, the emotion of happiness and say, what is it that I'm worshiping that's, that's helping me become happy? What is it that I'm worshiping that's causing me to be, to be angry? And in this worship or in this untangling of emotions, as we think about these, these things, our emotions help us, in a sense, understand sin that's in our life, unholiness that's in our life, the things that we're worshiping, the idols that we're making, the items that we're making into idols. And how when those items or idols are removed, we begin to be angry, bitter, jealous. Lord, you're withholding these things from me, and I'm a good person. You should be giving these things from me, for me. And so we begin to question even the character of God. Why am I suffering? Why am I going through these trials? Why am I on this journey that doesn't seem like there's ever an end? And that's why Peter constantly, over and over again, through this letter, you have a living hope, not in yourself, but even in your suffering, you have a living hope in the resurrected Jesus. Because he has caused you to be born again. Which means you are holy because he is holy. And he has caused you to be set out because he set apart because he is set apart. And we remain in that holiness all because of Christ. So when you suffer this week or even in this moment right now, maybe you're suffering through conviction. In this moment you say, what is the sin that's in my life that needs to be squeezed out or in a way maybe even beat out 
through your word, that I may as a set-apart person not be living for sin and in disobedience, but instead might be living fully in obedience to Christ and Christ alone. So when Peter starts verse 13 with, Therefore, those are the things that he's talking about. Therefore, in your set-apartness, in your dispersion, in your persecution, in your suffering, in your disobedience. Remember, Christ has caused you to be born again. Christ has given you a living hope. Christ has given you eternal inheritance kept for you in heaven, the place that you should be longing for. And in so doing, what's, what's next? How do we walk in this living hope? How do we walk in this holiness that he, is, he has caused us to be, to be in? So verse 13, together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, sober set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what we're going to try and do for the next 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, is tear apart these in a godly way, tear apart these verses so that we can understand them. And let's begin with this phrase, preparing your minds for action. Or maybe you have it translated in your Bible, uh, gird up your loins, which is a cool saying. And, I, and if we were a church that actually talked back some, which I hope eventually we are, you would repeat after me, gird up your loins, just because it sounds fun to say. So what does this mean? Gird up the loins, loins of your mind. Preparing your minds for action. What does this mean in light of all that Peter said? Or in the heaviness of all that Peter said, what does it mean to prepare your minds for action? Well, what is the action? What is the action that you're about to do? Or what is the action that you're currently doing? Well, that action is walking in holiness. That action is walking in hope. So you can write that down somewhere. What is the action that Peter's talking about? He's talking about the walking in hope that you're doing or the walking in holiness that you are a part of. And so how do you do that? How do you prepare yourself? How do you daily prepare yourself to walk in the holiness and walk in the hope that you have, the living hope that you have in Jesus? If suffering tries to tell you that uh, suffering is, is the end and that there should be a period, hope, remember, tells us that hope is always followed by a comma. Hope reminds us that this is not the end, that there's more to come. And so hope says we have a living hope, therefore we can continue. Therefore we can continue to walk or we can continue to, to run. Preparing your minds for action. This, this symbolism or this, uh, this imagery of girding up your loins, ready, the loins of your mind, ready to walk ready to run. Literally in this picture, it's the purpose of gathering up your, 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 your robe in this time, gathering it up away from your legs so that you can walk and run unhindered, so that you can be prepared, you can be ready if you, if you need to or have to run or walk. Take off the fetter, take off the chains, be, you know, un, un, be unhindered. Uh, the author of Hebrews says the same thing. Don't walk in sin any longer, but instead, because it entangles us, throw those things off unhindered that you might walk, prepared to walk in holiness, walk in hope. A, a question would be this. If you don't have hope at the moment, what is it that's holding you back? What is it that's holding you back? What emotions? What thoughts? What things of this world? What is it that's holding you back from having those having the, the hope. The same with holiness. If you feel as if maybe you're not walking in holiness, but instead you continue to walk in sin, what sin is it? 
Identify that sin, confess that sin, repent of it, and move forward in your relationship with Christ. Trust in it. Christ has forgiven you of that. So what is it? What is it that's hindering you? What is it that's binding you? Is it your robe that you need to pick up so that you can continue to walk? Uh, possibly the meaning here that Peter's talking about is that, is that we need to be ready to see God at work and to respond to him with an instant obedience. Respond to him with an instant obedience. We've said it before. You've probably read it in books or heard other preachers talk about this. Partial obedience is full disobedience. We're not looking at and saying, God, I want to hear from you. Oh, wow, this is what you desire of my life. Okay, at some point, I will be obedient to you. No, in that moment, when God reveals those things to you, say, let me be unhindered from sin. Let me not be entangled with this. Let me confess this, repent of it, and walk in obedience to Christ. This phrase is also seen. Jesus uses this same phrase of girding up your loins or preparing your minds for action. In Luke 12, 35, he says, stay dressed. He's talking to his disciples. Stay dressed for action. Ready. Ready. Be first responders in a way. Always ready. Always ready to go. Always ready to move. Always ready to be in obedience to Christ. Many Christians grow complacent, stagnant, we let the, the mud and the mire and the brokenness of the world harden up around our feet and around our heart, and we are not ready. This is a daily thing. Yes, you have been saved if you have been. Yes, you have been saved. Now you're walking and growing in maturity in Christ, and you say, what, what does that look like? Lord, break away the hardness of my heart. Move the mud and the mire and the muck and the hardness of the clay from around my feet and mold me and shape me into the person you desire for me to be. Break me. Let the suffering, the trials, the ten- whatever it may be, let those things break me. Let me stay dressed, ready, prepared for, for action, for obedience. This phrase is also used another time in the Old Testament. Then I'm going to try my best to go slowly through, because I think this is the most important part of this phrase. So if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Preparing your minds for action. Stay dressed for action. Girding up your loins, ready to be obedient to Christ. Ready to be obedient to Christ. Exodus chapter 12, in the middle of this, in the middle of this rescue mission, verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. Verse 4 says, And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take from it the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. We're talking about the Passover, about the rescuing of Israel, about the shedding blood of a sacrifice put on the doorpost. Verse 7, Then they shall, then they shall take some of the blood and shall put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it, raw or boiled in water, but roast it. 
its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall not let any of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. And then verse 11 says this, and this is where the phrase comes in. And in this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in hand. You're girding up your loins. You're prepared for action. You're ready to be moved. You shall eat it in haste, says. It is the Lord's Passover. Why? Why eat the Passover in this way? And the whole theme of the Passover is God's rescuing. God's ransoming his people. God making the sacrifice. The shed blood being covered over the people. And in that saying, we are ready to walk in rescue. We are ready to walk in your ransom. We are ready to walk in your righteousness. We're ready to walk in your salvation. We're ready to walk in your saving grace. We're prepared for action. Too many of us, too many of us say, let's wait till Sunday, and then we'll worship Jesus. Then we'll be ready. Too many of us say, not today. Like today, we'll let these things hold me back. Monday through Saturday, all these things will hold me back. And at some point, at some celebration, at some moment in life, then I'll say, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready. And the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross for us is so that you don't have to. So that you don't have to. And then in that, when we see the grace of that, and Christ's righteousness being bestowed upon us, giving to us, and us walking in newness of life, saying we are ready to walk in newness of life, not to be held back by anything in this world, but we are ready with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in hand, ready, prepared for action, ready. Our loins are girded up, ready to be moved by you, to walk in obedience to what you desire of us, to walk in obedience to what you desire of us. Unfortunately for those Israelites, on the first Passover, the Lord rescued them and ransomed them. And then for 40 years they complained about that. For 40 years they suffered. For 40 years they were tested, tried. For 40 years they wanted to go back to their old way of life. For 40 years they, they let down, they, they took off their belt. I want to be comfortable in this place. I want to stay. S send me back to Egypt. Let me, let me go back to slavery. Let me go back to being fettered and tied and bound to things of this world. Peter, Moses, God, Jesus are all saying the same thing. You've been set free from bondage, so no longer walk in that. You've been set free from the chains of sin and death, so no longer remain in that. Instead, gird up your loins, prepared for action, walking in obedience to Jesus and Jesus alone. Gird up your loins and be ready for rescue. Here's the cool thing about salvation. The price, the payment has been paid. Christ has paid that ultimate sacrifice. His blood covers your sin. And if you have confessed him as Lord, your sins have been forgiven. Repent of that. Your sins have been forgiven. And now we're walking in newness of life, ready for the final rescue, ready for the return, the revelation so the whole world sees who Jesus is. We're waiting for that, walking that, prepared for action, ready for that. Peter goes on to say, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. 
being sober-minded. Obviously, your thoughts first went to alcohol and intoxication, as Peter talking about not drinking alcohol so that we we might always be sober-minded. The idea here is that we would be sober-minded, free from illusion, not intoxicated, not intoxicated from things of this world, particularly influences of sin like passion, selfish passion, or, or greed. We have to have a right, clear mind. Why is there need to be sober-minded? Because intoxicated minds make intoxicated decisions. It wasn't me. It was the alcohol. You've heard that. Maybe you've said that or you have friends that have said that. Intoxicated minds make intoxicated decisions. It wasn't me, and this is how sinners usually say this, it wasn't me, um, it was my sin. Or it wasn't me, it was Satan. Or it wasn't me, it was the idols all around me. Or it wasn't me, it was my dog. Or it wasn't me, parents, it was my kids. Or it wasn't me, spouses, it was my husband. We constantly look towards outside forces. Intoxicated minds make intoxicated decisions. And when we don't have clarity of mind, when we don't have concentration upon the things that Christ desires of us, when we're not sober-minded, we tend to make intoxicated decisions. And so when suffering comes, or persecution comes, or the world continues to grow in brokenness, and we, we begin to lose hope, and our mind grows captive to the things of the world and the sin all around us, what do you expect other than intoxicated decisions if we remain intoxicated with things of this world? And I've said intoxicated a lot just now. I just realized how many times i said that. We need to be sober-minded. As people who belong to Jesus, we have to put into action what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we take captive the thoughts, that we don't wage war like people of this world wage war, but instead we take captive the thoughts. We wage war differently with things from heaven, with thoughts of eternity. When our mind is consumed with something and we begin concentrating on that one thing, that one, that one item, that one emotion, that one suffering thing, we cannot function. We lose direction. We've all done it, right? We've all spent days and months and years concentrating on one thing. One thing that has no eternal value, by the way. One thing that persuades us, it shapes us, it, inter- it determines our, our next steps, or maybe our entire life. You've had this happen when traveling. You're traveling and you're needing to make a, a decision on, on direction, and so what do you do? You begin to try and tune out all the things around you. You turn down the radio. You tell your kids to be quiet. You tell your wife or your husband to hush. Let me make these decisions. You're traveling. You're walking. You're going in a direction. But there's so much noise all around, so what do you have to do? To stop. You have to concentrate. Concentrate on the decisions that you need to make. And then you can't hear anything else. You can't hear in the back saying, Daddy, you missed the turn. Or your wife telling you, you did miss the turn. Instead, you grow angry. Why are you guys still talking? I told you to be quiet. We're trying to help you. Y'all are focused on this. When we're concentrating on one thing, it begins to consume us. When concentrating on finishing that final paper, what do you do? You grab a cup of coffee. When concentrating or trying to decide on life's mission and purpose, what do you do? You go to Vegas. Because what happens in Vegas shows up on Facebook and everybody knows about your mission and your vision. No, you don't go to those places. 
And as a Christian, Paul is telling us, in sober-mindedness, preparing our minds for action, what should we be concentrating on? To make daily decisions. Not large decisions, but just daily decisions on what is my next step. How do I help this person? How can I concentrate on somebody who's suffering instead of my instead of myself? When you're needing to make large decisions or small decisions, it's helpful, and I know you've done this, to find a still, calm, quiet place. A place to reflect, to have clear thoughts, clarity of mind. Because you're wanting to be sober-minded. Not persuaded by any illusions from the world. Not persuaded by any of this. The difference between someone who's following Jesus and someone who's not is, if we're living a Christ-centered life, it means that our concentration is living in full obedience to our Lord Jesus. So that the life that He has given to us may continually be glorifying to Him and Him alone, making decisions. This is why we pray. This is why we fast. This is why we have accountability. This is why we meet together and gather together to worship Jesus with other believers, asking elders to help us remove idols or items from our life that might potentially lead to be an idol, so that I might be an undivided person, so that I might not be guilty of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, that I'm trying to serve two masters, but instead I might have an undivided, fully devoted obedience to Christ and Christ alone. Peter goes on to say, he, he mentions this, he cross-references this in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because why? Your, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. Intoxicated minds usually make intoxicated decisions and then leave themselves open to the devil to continue to persuade us into more and more sin. Peter doesn't want us to do that. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, what should we set our mind? What should be the concentration of our mind? Set your hope or your mind, your concentration, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fully, perfectly, completely, until the end. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you through Jesus Christ. We're not talking about a dream. We're not talking about a wish, but an absolute certainty, a confident expectation in the living hope that we have in Jesus. A hope strong enough for one to act on the basis of it in everyday life. How long, right? I mean, this happens in our life. It happens in our family all the time. Daddy, how much longer is this hike? How much longer are we going to have to do this? How much longer is this journey? I thought you said we were heading in the direction of the truck. No, I said eventually we'll head in the direction of the church. I mean, the, the church, the truck. How much further? We live in this daily. How much further is this hike? We have a longing desire to know when something will be over. How much longer am I going to have to suffer through this? How much longer? How much further? How many more years? I feel like it's only been a minute. Peter is urging Christ's followers that in a Christ-centered life, our attention, our concentration is not set upon time or our sufferings or our self. But instead, our concentration and our full attention is set fully upon the grace of Jesus that has and will be revealed at His revelation. But some of you at this moment right now are thinking, I'm too weak. In fact, you want to use the term, but I'm too poor to pay attention. I'm too weak. I've got other things going on at this moment. Let me get some things taken care of first. Let me focus on this for a minute, and then I'll go to Jesus. 
We know, I know, you cannot do this on your own. You don't have enough money to pay attention. You are too weak. You cannot do this on your own. And this is why we preach the gospel to ourselves. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because we know that Christ has the power to do that. We don't walk in flesh any longer. We walk in newness of life through Jesus. We preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We have someone else hold us accountable to that. Preaching the gospel to us. We say, hey, my mind is wandering. My mind is wandering. My mind is going astray. Can you pray for me that I might concentrate on Christ and Christ alone? My whole life, walking, running, hiking, whatever you want to say, my whole life walking fully in the hope of the holiness of Jesus, that he has graciously lavished on me and will be completely glorified at his revelation. Daily we are walking, our entire life walking fully in the hope of the holiness of Jesus, that he has graciously lavished on us and will be completely glorified at his revelation. Johnny Erickson Tata says that we aren't waiting for heaven because it's the day of Johnny, but it's the day of Jesus. The day of Jesus will be but so much more glorious than the day of Matt. And as obedient children, we aren't to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. But instead, Peter says, as he who called us is holy, we also should be holy. And since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, set apart. So our hope is this, that as we're walking daily, today, tomorrow, if the Lord gives it to us this entire week, as we're walking daily in the hope and the holiness that we have in Jesus, we're going to allow our suffering and our daily life to urge us to concentrate or aid us in concentrating on the grace given to us through Jesus. That that though you and I, that we're weak with sin, we were dead in our trespasses, Jesus was and is and will always be enough. He has made payment for you. He has covered you with your sins and his blood in order to rescue you from death. So gird up your loins of your mind. Pay attention to what Christ has done, to what he's doing and what he's going to do. And let him receive the glory today as you walk in obedience to him. And the setting of your hope be fully upon him and the grace that he has given you to make you holy. My hope is this. I'm going to pray this for you this morning. That today as you stand up, even in response, that you stand up ready to walk in the final rescue. Knowing that you've been rescued through Jesus, that his blood has has covered your sins and has forgiven you of that. Trusting in him as Lord of your life and you're walking daily ready for the final rescue. Lord Jesus, help us not to focus on self or sin even at this moment, but instead help us to focus in on our Savior. And as our focus on our Savior begins to happen, our concentration, God, if sin is revealed and and you convict us of that, Lord, let us repent of that. Let's confess that, even to one another, that is an act of obedience to you. And God, as we stand, as we sing, as we respond to you in this moment, but also in the moments to come, if you should allow them to happen, and let us walk in obedience, fully hoping in Christ and his holiness, ready, anticipating, anxiously, and confidently awaiting for the final rescue. God, let us glorify you in our response to you this morning. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. I don't know that I have anything else to say other than you receive.